<sighs> okay, here we go. Now, what you're about to hear is actually me being interviewed by another podcaster, Molly Watts, on her show. Now, Molly is the host of the Breaking the Bottle Legacy podcast. And in that podcast, she shares her own experience with changing her long-standing drinking patterns. And by drinking, I mean alcohol. And she shares how she has created a healthier and more peaceful relationship with alcohol. Now, I was a guest on her show talking about how alcohol and fitness go together or not. And I thought, why not share the great conversation I had with Molly right here on Second Wind Fitness. So here we go. My name is Brock Armstrong, and it's time to get your second wind. Before we get started. As you've probably noticed, this podcast is no longer in production, but there are so many people who are still listening to each episode and reaching out to me for advice and help and support that I've decided to keep the dream and this podcast alive, which means I'm paying a few maintenance fees out of my pocket. And I don't mean to make this sound like a woe is me kind of affair, because it is indeed a pleasure to have created something that is being appreciated. But if you felt so inclined, you could go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee to, yes, as it sounds, buy me a virtual coffee. And since coffee is easily my biggest vice, I'm what you would call a coffee snob, if you buy me a coffee, I can pay my hosting fees with all the coffee money that I save. So win-win situation here. So go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee and help keep this podcast and my fancy coffee habit alive. That's brockarmstrong.com slash coffee. Hey, Brock. Thanks so much for joining me this morning. I am super excited to get to, to talk to you finally. And today we're talking about alcohol and athletic performance. So I told you just in our conversations offline, I wanted to make sure we talked about, you know, when we say athletic performance, people get all, you know, some of the people are already saying, oh, I'm not an athlete. Yeah, right. This doesn't apply to me. So it, def it definitely does because we all should be moving our bodies. And let's talk about what alcohol does to people, even in limited amounts that counteracts or can work against us if we're trying to do things in an athletic way, any type of fitness, really. Yeah, there are so many ways that alcohol has effects on the efforts that we're putting into becoming physically or maintaining our physical fitness, which right. isn't necessarily, it doesn't have to be about running marathons or triathlons or anything like that. Just maintaining the ability to move through this world with confidence and ease and do the things, continue to do the things that we love to do. That's really my definition of fitness. It's not anything right. Well, and you can, if you have bucket list goals, I'm not poo-pooing that at all. I've done 77 races myself at this point wow. in my life, different Ironman triathlons, <laughs> oh. regular triathlons, marathons, 10 Ks, bicycle races, all of those things, because they're really, they are really fun, but they're not necessary. And they're certainly not the key to health and longevity by any means. They're just fun things to, to try, but uh, Brock, alcohol, I think you and I have a different, <laughs> different definition of fun. A lot of people do. Sure. Yes. I understand that. <laughs> but yeah, even the, even the, even the more regular sort of ways of looking at your physical health and your physical fitness 
are affected by alcohol. And one of the things that I'm just going to give a little bit of a, a preview here, I did a deep dive into looking at all the science and the thing that kept cropping up in all of the scientific studies I was looking at where they were taking athletes or non-athletes and putting them on bicycles and giving them alcohol and stuff was there was, it was either no alcohol or a complete binge. Right. It was, there are very few studies, if any, that just look at moderate drinking. Mm -hmm. It was always like, we put these people on a, on a bicycle and then got them to ride. And then we gave them 10 shots of vodka over three right. hours. And, <laughs> and gee, like, oh. wow, they had a hard time riding their bike after that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was not exactly surprising, but I guess the, the, the thing that we can sort of learn from that is that moderation, <laughs> the, the sort of smaller amounts of alcohol, the more reasonable amounts of alcohol, maybe the ones that align more with the general health amounts of alcohol just didn't produce significant mm. enough or interesting enough results, results to, sure. to warrant like writing a paper or, uh, or publishing a paper about it, which is unfortunate mm -hmm. in, in my opinion, because I think getting a little bit more information about the way that people really behave, like certainly there are outliers, they're, they're the teetotalers and then they're the, the binge drinkers. But I would have really liked to see a lot more information about sort of people who just have a couple of beers after after an evening hockey game, which is something I did for years and years playing in a in literally what we called a beer league hockey team. Right, <laughs> right, right. So so it is kind of interesting, but I think we can extrapolate some of the information quite quite easily to see that it does have a, a smaller effect in smaller doses. And <laughs> you know what? Spoiler, none of them are positive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None. I know. The thing about alcohol, and I think you're kind of hitting on that. And I was just, I just did an episode last week on um, using science to guide your alcohol decisions. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's very, that's very clear about alcohol and about the research on alcohol is it's very dose dependent. Yes. And I think in your article, you, you even referenced that with poison, right? Poisons, it's dose dependent. Like yeah. the, the outcomes are going to be more negative the more you ingest a known toxin or a known poison. And, and, or yeah. even water for that mean, right, for right, that, exactly. like um, yeah, exactly. uh, everything is dose dependent, including our wonderful water. <laughs> right. Yeah. The thing with alcohol, and this is, you know, I what I talked about in this last podcast is all of our studies um, with alcohol are observational because we mm. cannot, you know, we cannot isolate people and only give them alcohol and not give them anything else to, right. to eat or drink over time, right? I mean, we could do it in a just kind of like you were talking about. Oh, if you if you isolate somebody and give them a a, a binge of alcohol, you can see a, a dramatic result right there in the acute time sense, but. Right over weeks, over days, over months and years, you cannot just isolate alcohol. And so there, the problem with all the studies are there's always going to be confounders, what they call confounders mm -hmm. in scientific research. And with that said, that doesn't mean that there aren't data points that direct us to see <laughs> causal relationships between, especially, and this dose dependency is really one of the things that is clear. The more and more alcohol people ingest, the more negative outcomes that are manifested. And that's in an acute way and over the long run as well. Right. So, 
you know, and speaking of confounders, um, I think you actually shared a, an article with me with a, an ultra runner who yeah. was experimenting with with taking a break from from alcohol. And I thought the the interesting one of the interesting things that she said is she was looking back over her training log and she saw certain workouts that were actually and she said way too many workouts that were actually labeled detox run. Right. And I've found I that really hit home for me. I've I've coached hundreds of athletes and hundreds of <laughs> regular Joes who wanted to to knock something off their bucket list by doing a marathon or or something like that. And I've seen that same sort of behavior time and time again, where if they're planning a night out, they'll go and do a hard workout to sort of prep their body or justify that they've done something virtuous for themselves. And now I can go with impunity and, and right. drink and eat and do whatever it is, whatever they want to do. Or on the other end of things, I went out last night, I drank too much. I ate crappy. So I'm going to get on the treadmill and do the, the old penance Repent, run. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're self-flagellation on the, on the treadmill to, to do penance for the debauchery you had the night before. And getting back to the the sort of confounding factors there, his exercise is stress, pure right. and simple. We are putting stress on our bodies. And the beauty of putting stress, any type of stress really on our body is there's a, a thing called hormesis, where if you put just the right amount of stress on your body and then allow your body to recover from it, we get stronger. It's that whole notion of whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger. So as long as you're not killing yourself, but that's the magic of, of exercises. It is a stressor, same as getting yelled at by your boss, as driving all over the place with your kids, like all those things are stressors on our bodies. And the idea that we can somehow undo another stressor by putting mm -hmm. another stressor on top of it. So let's say your, your idea is I'm going to stress my body out really hard at the gym in order to go and stress my body out hard at the club tonight. <laughs> it just doesn't add up. So I really, one of the big things I'd like to, I, one of my life goals is to dispel this myth that somehow doing something virtuous like exercise is going to undo something unvirtuous. Like I, I knew a fellow who used to smoke and he said, well, it's okay. Cause I run. Isn't <laughs> and, that true? Oh my goodness. Yeah. That whole, that, that, yeah. <laughs> you know, so many people, and it, it also really is interesting. You bring talking about that, this it's, it, it kind of leans into this conversation that we have about vices, right? The mm -hmm. kind of this and the morality of some of our decisions. And I work really hard to try to get people out of the, the absolute type of thinking. And I think that's really kind of where that notion comes from that idea of, I got to go, uh, be good. Yeah. <laughs> so I can therefore then be, be bad. bad. Later, yeah. Right. And we need to really uh, work at moving away from absolutes of good, bad, right, wrong, and work towards better, in my opinion, all the time so that we're working on better choices, whether it's better choices with alcohol, better choices with fitness, better choices with food. When we frame our world into right or wrong, good or bad, it sets us up, I think, for those, for even worse decisions and, and failures right mm -hmm. away. Like, you know what I mean? Because we're, we're setting ourselves up. We, because, and then there's that thinking that comes along with it of, well, I've already screwed up. Right. So yeah. I might as well yeah. just keep going. 
and then if you're uh, somebody who's making all those uh, fitness choices, you're doing really well and you stumble or you have a drink, you're like, oh, well, I've just thrown away the whole week. Yeah, I'm screwed now. I may as well right? just give up. <laughs> you know? and, Which yeah. is not the way we want to live our lives. No, it's a, it really does this idea of good and bad and right and wrong and placing morality on everything that we do is it really sets us up for disordered eating, for disordered drinking, for disordered yeah. exercising. Like we, we get these ideas in our head that really are, well, they're physiologically incorrect right. and also mentally and emotionally damaging. I'm, I'm also a cognitive behavioral therapy yeah. practitioner and, and we spend a lot of time in, in CBT talking about the stories that we tell ourselves and how they affect how we behave and how we react to situations. And the stories we tell ourselves are often not even our own stories. They're stories that we've heard from our parents, from our grandparents, from television, from books, from religion. There's just all this information that ends up becoming our core belief system, even though we didn't choose it and we didn't set it up for ourselves. And I think exercise and alcohol definitely fall into that. There's that temperance movement that happened when was that 1930 yeah. that has this lasting effect. It has a, a grip on us still, even though we can buy alcohol pretty much anywhere. I live in Canada, so not quite as freely available as it is in the US. But even though that's been over for as long as it has, well, 90 years, mm -hmm. we still have the lasting moral judgment that's placed on it, which does set us up for executing our own habits and our own behaviors in a disordered way based on an outdated belief system that never served us in the first place. It was all about controlling the masses, not about actually looking after the human population. So yeah, yeah it's a, it, it is a really difficult thing for us to, to get over. And it's something that I work on a lot with about exercise too, is we have spent a lot of time in school. Often teachers use exercise as punishment. Mm -hmm. Like if you've mm -hmm. been bad or you right. didn't perform correctly, do a lap or right. drop and give me 20 or something like that. Right. So it ends up, we set up this, what we're supposed, it's supposed to be something that's benefiting us and making right. us feel good and making us stronger and making us more capable. And instead it's a punishment and making us feel demoralized and, and ashamed of ourselves. And so that belief system gets set up at an early age as well. And this, it just all leads to really disordered behavior around, well, how we eat, how we move, how we believe, and what so, we use as a coping mechanism, right? So, so for yes. people that are that are using alcohol to unwind and and see that as the way to change how they're feeling, not understanding. I I know I studied a lot of CBT too during mm -hmm. my process of changing my my drinking habits, and really that was, I think it's something that we've. Uh, well, well, I'm I won't go down all this rabbit hole because <laughs> I'll go there forever. But it's yes. certainly something that. I really feel like we're we've done a disservice to our children not making them understand from a very early age the connection between our thoughts and our feelings and our mm -hmm. actions and we place so much emphasis on the action just what we were talking you know more on that and what's happening as opposed to what's what's really driving all of that so there's a lot to be learned there for sure well so hopefully in our conversation today we can help people change some beliefs around like I'm being virtuous by doing this right. run. So I deserve to have right. this, this yeah. beer or two or 10 as or, the studies had been <laughs> having. 
I actually made a, I, I've broken out sort of the, the evidence or the, the things I think were most relevant to our conversation today Awesome. in terms of sort of some categories. So I don't know if you, should Please, we just jump into some, some categories? Yes. So I, I thought, you know, the first thing that, that people think of when, when you're drinking alcohol or some people think of this first thing I think of is the dehydration effect yep, of it. That's what I think of. Yeah. So you're, you're having a few beers, you're going to the bathroom repeatedly. And, and of course there, there is some dehydration that's happening there. And in terms of sport performance and especially sport recovery or, or even just fitness recovery, hydration really does play a, a key role, not quite as big a role as I think a lot of people who carry around their little water bottle with them all day, but we do want to maintain decent hydration. And of course, exercise dehydrates too, especially if you're like me and sweat profusely, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a very heavy sweater. And then coupling that with in alcohol, there's a, there's a, a, a substance that inhibits the release of a hormone called antidiuretic hormone or vasopressin. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a, it's a bit of a double negative there. I said it inhibits an antidiuretic. Right, right, right. So basically it's, it's di it's you're dehydrating yourself because right. the hormone is meant to actually maintain, maintain water balance. But if it's inhibited, then of course you're you're flushing that out. And they found um, the Journal of Applied Physiology actually showed that alcohol in doses less than 0.49 grams per kilogram of body weight, which is about three or four standard alcoholic drinks, okay, actually doesn't affect your your rehydration. Like so, if you are drinking. Um, let's say a, a, a beer, I guess, because that's got a lot of water in it or a mm -hmm. cocktail that's got a lot of soda water or something. It won't undo the hydration effect of the rest of that drink. Okay. So, gotcha. so we've got, a, I think that's a, that's a reasonable amount of <laughs> I'm saying reasonable in quotation marks amount of drinks to have if you're truly celebrating and, and you really want to enjoy yourself with alcohol after an event. So right. we're right there it, on the bubble folks. So it just yeah. so uh, clarity, there is the low risk limits for alcohol here in the U S are for women. It would be th no more than three standard drinks in one day. And for yeah. men, no more than four. So yeah. you're three to four, you're right there for both yeah. men and women. And I think this information kind of lines up the same with caffeine. I'm pretty sure you've covered on the on the podcast in the past, the, that like people have this idea that coffee is dehydrating, but it actually isn't dehydrating, dehydrating enough to undo the, the actual water content that's in, uh, in the coffee, in the coffee. So it's same nice. sort of idea here. So not a, not a huge concern within those realms of, uh, of amounts and, and, and drinks. So then I, I started thinking about, well, refueling then, because you know, when you exercise, we deplete our body. There's a thing called glycogen that we store in our muscles and our bones and our liver. And that's what we turn into, into energy. And it's really just carbohydrate. It's what our body does with carbohydrate, stores it away, allows us to, to exercise. Now, this is one of those ones where they, uh, one of the studies where they took cyclists and they put them on a bike and gave them, um, give them a bunch of, bunch of alcohol. And they found that across the board, it actually did impair our abilities to refuel our muscles, to restore oh. that glycogen. And again, you don't have to be a cyclist to, to be concerned with this. If you have kids, if you have a job, if you have ambition outside of doing just your, right. your 
bicycle race or, or whatever, you still want to have energy. We need energy in our bodies in order to enjoy ourselves. So if we're impairing our ability to replenish those, those carbohydrates, then that just means we're probably going to hit the couch and feel kind of rotten for, for right. the rest of the day. Right. Yeah, that's a pretty, I think, um, for people that have uh, experienced the after effects of having more alcohol than they wanted to, mm -hmm. that lack of energy, I think, is pro probably something fairly, I, I don't know if people attribute that to worse sleep but it might be just because their body's actually not recovering properly. Mm -hmm. Well, and and it really leads into the next day. If you haven't replenished your your glycogen stores, you don't have your normal energy levels. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have a bit of a hangover. Right. And you sent me an article or some information about about the hangover that I actually wasn't aware of the the dangers of heart arrhythmias yeah. from being uh, from from being hungover and exercising. When we exercise, we do actually raise our blood pressure temporarily. Our blood pressure goes right. pretty darn high when we're exercising, especially if we're exercising hard or lifting heavy weights. So having a the chance of an arrhythmia while you're also pushing your your blood pressure through the roof is a very dangerous combination. But even aside from that, you're if you haven't refueled your your muscles and you're feeling kind of logy and your your central nervous system is depressed as it is when we drink alcohol for a, quite a considerable amount of hours afterwards well exercising while you're hungover is again what i was talking about earlier you're placing a stressor on top of a stressor on top of a stressor right and this is not benefiting you in the long run unless you can take that time to to really let your body recover and well that's not what uh, what people are are looking for most of the time, or that's not how they're behaving a lot of the time. So, so this refueling idea is uh, is not only for, like I said, it's not only for people who are going out and racing. It's just for having a good life. We want to feel. We want to have right. that up in our step. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is present day Brock interrupting the interview because it is time to pay our membership dues. Do you like to shop on Amazon.com and enjoy supporting this podcast? You do? Well, have I got a deal for you. If you start your Amazon shopping adventure by going to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon, I will get a small percentage of the money that you spend. And the best part is that you don't pay anything extra. This all comes out of their pockets. Take that, Bezos. So next time you buy anything on Amazon, go to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon and shop while also supporting this podcast. I truly thank you for being a listener and for your support. That's brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon. So, okay, so we've talked about hydration. We've talked about refueling. What else is there that you've gleaned or uncovered for the relationship between alcohol and exercise. Well, and this is another one of those topics that I think is easy to just be like, well, well, I don't want to be a bodybuilder. So what do I care about muscle building? Mm. But as we age, when basically by the time we hit the age of 30, our muscle mass starts to be more and more difficult to maintain. And in fact, we usually lose a certain percentage, quite a large percentage. I think it's around 3%. Don't quote me on that, but it's, it's quite high each year after we reach the age of 30 or, or so. So this isn't even about 
being a muscle man or putting right. on putting on a bunch of muscle and bulking up. This is about maintaining our our muscle mass, and it's called sarcopenia. is one of is the clinical term for that loss of muscle mass that we often see in elderly people and becomes a real problem. So the studies that, that looked at alcohol and its um, effect on muscle building looked at a specific thing called muscle protein synthesis. And that's just looking at how our body processes proteins into, into muscle material within our bodies. And across the board, the studies showed that our MPS, our muscle protein synthesis was reduced by I've got one study that says 24 to 37%, one that says nearly 40%. And this was for 30 to 60 hours after drinking, the Ooh. MPS was, was depressed by up to 40%. So again, they did find that it was dose dependent, but across the board, no matter how much alcohol you actually were consuming, your body's ability to take that protein and turn it into muscle was inhibited quite substantially. This is super interesting to me because I've been on a uh, weight lifting adventure for the last, I started at the beginning of this month. So we're almost to the end of the month. And so I've been going three days a week to the gym and lifting. And this is not something I love to do, folks. This is not <laughs> something I like to do at all. But I have noticed that my body is, I mean, I'm, you know, in my fifties and I just, my body is feeling weaker. <laughs> I just don't mm. feel as strong as I used to. And I know that I've lost, I mean, I know I've lost muscle. And so really good to know that I am yeah. not, um, you know, that I, in most of the times that I don't want to waste that effort. You know right. what I mean? I don't want to, I don't love it enough to like be, I'm, I'm trying to love it, Brock. I'm trying, but <laughs> I don't love it yet. And I certainly don't want to offset my, my efforts by, by drinking. Yeah. You you nailed it on the head. You don't want to waste that time. So if you're putting that time in, in at the gym, you want to maximize that effort. So and and good for you for realizing, for noticing, first of all, that you were losing the the strength and, and not feeling as strong and capable as you were before. But even better, bravo to you for not just saying, oh well, I'm in my 50s. What do I expect? <sighs> this this is the refrain that I hear so often. And I'm like, no, that's the wrong. Take it as a challenge, not a defeat, is what I always want to say. Like, just because it does happen where we lose, like I said, there is that statistic that says we do lose muscle mass and, and stuff over time. We can do something about that, which is exactly what you're doing, which is wonderful. And bravo. Well, yeah, I, you know, like I said, go back and listen to my episodes of Live Happier Longer, and you'll understand that my whole, you know, I don't just, the idea that we can't change our lives and that we're too old. Um, mm -hmm. I spoke to so many, so many people that were older in there. I, I, you would enjoy one of my uh, talk to, uh, now I'm not gonna be able to remember her last name, Cheryl Gruen, I think, and uh, Ironman triathlete and mm. was the, is the oldest living woman that she, she holds records for mm -hmm. the Ironman in Hawaii for finishing in this, you know, she's, she was in her seventies. I mean, incredible, but the idea that we, you know, that, that being in our fifties is an excuse for slowing down, stopping, not starting a fitness yeah. routine. And for me, like I said, it's not a matter of, 
I definitely have an active lifestyle. I focus on that, but I haven't been focusing on my strength. And I knew that this was something that I needed to do. Certainly, like I said, don't want to waste those moments because I don't love it <laughs> yet. So I don't want to offset that by drinking more than I should. So I, I, you know, everybody knows around here that I am an alcohol minimalist. I, I use that, that name. Me too. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Raising <laughs> and, my hand. Um, and that's, but I, I like to include alcohol in a minimal way, but I, I want to know. And so that's a, a great way for me to understand, you know, especially the nights before I'm going to go to the gym, you know, that might be a, a perfect night to incorporate an alcohol free night into my, my schedule. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And actually the next topic that I was going to get into is recovery and this can be injuries or just recovering from a, a hard workout. They, uh, there are a number of studies that also looked at, at how alcohol affects our ability to recover from a hard workout or from a race or, or from an injury. And, um, there were two things that really stuck out to me, which was that alcohol, um, was shown to lower the acute inflammatory response to tissue injury. And that's again, science is so good at just obfuscating <laughs> the truth. But the point is, is that it delays recovery. Is okay. If you're because the inflammatory response is actually what our body does in order to facilitate healing a little bit quicker, brings a lot of blood and, and extra goodness to the area, and that helps it recover quicker. So alcohol was shown at any amount to actually um, lower the acute inflammatory response. And it was also it alcohol in general causes a thing called vasodilation. Have you have right. you ever talked yeah. about that? And that actually also has been shown to increase or to delay healing as well because of it's increasing some mm. some other sort of byproducts and and things that we don't necessarily want to have in the way of our natural ability to to heal. So those two things together, if we're spending our day after the gym feeling kind of sore and and pounding, well not pounding even just sipping some some cocktails and nursing our our wounds we're not actually doing ourselves any favors in terms of being able to bounce back and get back into our active lifestyle as quickly as possible, or again, benefit from that hard work that we did because we're, we're inhibiting our body's own response to heal the, the damage that we've done. And at its base root, I keep going back to the, the base of, of exercise. Whenever we're using our muscles beyond, well, in any way, but beyond sort of the, when we get into a challenging workout or we're doing something that's actually challenging our muscles, what's happening is we're actually tearing the fibers yeah. of the muscle. I've and this, this isn't a bad thing. That's right. that's how we make it stronger. So we tear those muscle fibers, we tear, tear them apart a little bit, and then the body goes, oh, got to make that stronger for next time. Make sure that it, this doesn't happen again. So that's how we continue to to get stronger and, and maintain our muscle mass or, or tendon elasticity or any of that, that good stuff that we're looking for. So if we're impairing our body's ability to repair those minor little damages that we're making, well, again, we're not going to reap the benefits of the things that we're doing and who wants to waste that time. Who wants to waste that time? You know, the, um, what's, what's interesting about that is I, um, my two claims to fame for big fitness goals where I've run two half marathons. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, see, oh, wow. See, I get some yeah. credit, right? It's yeah, not, that's it's awesome. not nothing. And, um, but I can tell you that in both instances, post 
well, both. So in the first one, I I can remember this because we actually, it was, it was the first time I'd ever tried to run a long race like that. I made it, uh, uh, we made it a, a party. We made a trip out of it. I had mm-hmm. with girlfriends, we ran down in San Diego, absolutely beautiful, but it was right down along the Marina and beautiful, beautiful place. And we, you know, we live in Oregon. It rains here all the time. So going to San Diego <laughs> in February was awesome. And so it was a party weekend, you know, we were yeah. running the half marathon, but we, so the night before I had beers, definitely when we were done was drinking beers. So now I'm looking back on that thinking, Hmm, Hmm, might not have been my, you know, my most intelligent efforts there with my running. Yeah. But you know, and, and this is a sort of a slippery slope when I, when I find myself giving all this kind of information and poo-pooing alcohol in this way, I always want to reinforce the thought that knowing the information and still choosing to do it because it means more to you than like, let's say this right, weekend sure. sounds like it was a wonderful time. It was a time with friends. It was about socializing. It probably gave you a big boost and you felt wonderful afterwards. And that can that can be a perfectly good reason to say to throw caution to the wind and say, you know what, that's not it's not about building muscle. It's not about doing the best time I possibly can in this race. It's not about all the stuff that we've been talking about. It's about having that social aspect and oh. having a really good time with my friends. And I, I'm sure in your previous podcast, you talked about the the blue zones where oh, people yeah. live Absolutely. very long lives and yep. alcohol is a, is a portion of that, but it's also sh- social alcohol. That is the big part of it. It's not sitting at home, drinking a beer after work, feeling sorry for yourself by yourself or right. sneaking one. It's that social aspect. And that has so many other benefits above the stuff that we're talking about right now. So, so I give all this information, this entire episode <laughs> isn't to say, do not ever choose to drink after a workout. Otherwise you're a dummy. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying know what's happening, understand what's going to go on in your body and then make a choice. Because sometimes as much as I I run a a weight loss program and we always say like, you know, sometimes you look at that piece of cake and sure, if your goal is to be someone who weighs less, you probably shouldn't eat that piece of cake. There's no two ways around it. The cake is not going to help you in your, in your goals, but making the decision to say, you know what, right now in this moment, that cake, I'm going to enjoy that cake and the, what's happening around it, feeling the, the camaraderie, feeling the love from the people that I'm with makes it worthwhile. And then just don't do it the next time because it's about consistency. Everything is about consistency. It's what we do most often that determines how we function and how we live our lives and how the outcomes we have. It's not about those one-off moments. It's not about the one trip that you went to San Diego and ran with your, with your friends. It's about (laughs) what you do in between now and that next time you go to San Diego and run with your friends and, and drink alcohol. So I, we should have started the show off with that huge caveat of this isn't saying don't ever do it. It's just know the risks know what you're getting into and make an informed decision. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's kind of my mantra around here is not, you know, it's not to say never, but one of the the things that I think is interesting about that and I, you know, I I mentioned it in that whole weekend and everything and you talked about the social aspect of it is I'm always challenging people. You have to think your thoughts because I I used to always associate, right? I couldn't imagine going out 
with mm. friends and not drinking right. while they were drinking, right? So that concept and that whole, again, it's really more about how I'm framing alcohol in my life and what I'm choosing about it. So it isn't that I that I am looking back on it and going, I'm, you know, oh yeah. I mean, I'm kind of jokingly saying, oh, it probably wasn't my best, my best uh, decision based on just knowing what I had done to my body in terms mm-hmm. of the, the, the athletic stress. But at the same time, it's also interesting to look back on it and think that I, I can remember drinking the night before the, you know, like I wanted to do that. I wanted that alcohol. And now looking back and now where I am now in my journey, like not just enjoying the fact that I was in San Diego with my right. good friends that I was there and 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 that being the part that I wanted to focus on right mm. and so it's a different mindset definitely um and no folks I'm never going to tell you that you know you can't ever drink, you shouldn't ever drink again that's not what I that's not what I believe but we do want to maximize the benefits of drinking and so absolutely a social occasion is a better decision, right? Yeah. Then definitely than drinking alone by yourself. And we want to maximize the benefit, minimize the harm. So right. stick to those low risk limits. I don't think I was sticking to the low risk limits back then. In fact, <laughs> I know I wasn't. Yeah. And so um, regardless, wasn't good for my athletic performance, wasn't good for uh, my health in general. Yeah. And I guess actually the next the next thing, and, and I'm not going to get too much into this, you actually alluded to it earlier and you have a whole episode about sleep. Yeah. And in the fitness world, we look at sleep as our number one recovery tool. Mm. Like there's a billion dollar industry of coming up with all these crazy squeezy pants that you can put on <laughs> and all kinds of supplements you can take and ice baths and all of this stuff that's supposed to help with your recovery. And all of them, sure, some of them have are efficacious. They they do have some effect on us, but the most number one hands down recovery tool is a good night's sleep. And if you're losing that because of alcohol consumption, because we know we don't get into that deep sleep, which is the real restorative part of our sleep where things like growth hormone and testosterone and and things just from, from the purely physiological standpoint, that's when they are released and do their, do their magic. If you're not in, doing that, then again, you're robbing yourself of many of the benefits you've given yourself by by doing that workout that you're not enjoying quite so much right now molly but you're <laughs> but I'm you trying, will brock i'm trying yeah. i'm getting there but um, again if you're not getting the sleep then you're not getting the full benefits of it so that's no, another and, and one of those reasons you know i could probably we could probably do i could do an episode on sleep like every other month just yeah. to reiterate the importance of it and we're talking about it a little, but the the neuroplasticity, the neuroscience for mm-hmm. sleep is so incredibly important. But the the thing with sleep and alcohol is that it doesn't, this is one of those cases where really, truly, it doesn't take very much to disrupt mm-hmm. our sleep patterns. So it is still dose dependent. You're just having one drink, you probably won't notice the big difference in your sleep habit or your sleep, you know, your sleep cycles, but anything over that, and you're still, you're going to start impacting your sleep cycles and sleep is probably number one. It's, it's also so super important for weight loss too. I know you guys probably talk about that in weight loss because it's, it's recuperative, restorative for the body, whether you're training in fitness, whether you are trying to lose just in life. I mean, it's where your brain, I, 
basically is like your brain gets washed yeah. of all of these toxins during yeah, the day. It squeezes, while you're contracts, and expands and pushes that fluid in and out, which actually does wash our brain. It's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, so yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a non-negotiable folks brain getting good sleep. It should be a non-negotiable for you. And alcohol is definitely uh, a disruptor for that. So whether or not you are trying to incorporate a new fitness routine, that's going to impact your recovery in with sleep. <laughs> so yeah. we're hearing it all together, right folks? Yeah. Just, it's not going to help you out if you're, especially if you're drinking more than you, more than those low risk limits. One of the the more legendary coaches out there in the triathlon world, Dr. Phil Maffetone, um, he once said, jokingly, I want to make sure that it's clear that he was joking, but there is some truth to it. He said, if you're going to be a drinker, be a day drunk, because it then it won't, <laughs> it <laughs> it won't, won't affect your sleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, well, I think Dr. Moss told me, you know, 2 p.m. was the cutoff for, mm. it's also the cutoff for caffeine, cutoff for chocolate, yeah. cutoff for, I was like, ugh. That's a problem. <laughs> I actually, I was cycling through Holland a couple of years ago before the pandemic and, and all of that went on a cycling trip through Denmark and Holland and Sweden and stuff. And it was a wonderful trip, but that part of the world is so engaged in, in cycling that they've actually invented a beer called the Rattler. And I know the, it's mm. available much more um, widely now. You can buy them even in liquor stores near me on Vancouver Island. But the Rattler is a very low alcohol beer that has juice mixed in. So some fruit juice, usually like grapefruit juice or something like that. And the electrolytes that actually come with right. the juice are also in there. And there were some really cool studies in, um, in Germany back in 2011 showing that beer actually can have, and this is the one, one caveat, and I'll explain why I'm, why I'm saying this, but one caveat where they actually did find that an alcoholic beverage actually did help with with recovery and it actually it did things like support immune function it lowered uh, stress from from the exercise and things like that but they actually they concocted this very specific type of beer that was very low alcohol mixed with things had some added salt and electrolytes and stuff and they actually found that it's uh it did help rehydrate it helped with recovery it boosted immune function and stuff like that but the big thing, like when you hear that, it's like, oh, that's wonderful. Right. I'm going to drink Coors Light and, and stuff like that because it's going to help me. But the comparison that they made in the study wasn't against milk or water or <laughs> other non-alcohol beverages. They were comparing it to alcoholic or high yeah, other beers yeah. like actual ales and stuff. So so basically, I think the upshot here is when you see these headlines and and they're touting all the the benefits. I, you've talked in the past about the red wine articles yeah. about yeah, red wine is so heart healthy. They don't and they're not comparing it against say a handful of blueberries, which also contains a lot of polyphenols right. and stuff. They're comparing it against other alcohols or against nothing. This same idea, when you see these kinds of headlines about beer being healthy and boosting your immune function, you need to really take a, a closer look at it because in this case, it it was compared against other beers. So it's the better of two evils, I suppose, which is a good thing. And, yeah. and honestly, I did enjoy a number of Rattlers while I was riding through I Belgium, Germany, find, and Holland. And 
I have to explore Rattlers. I haven't found mm. those yet down here, and those sound delightful. I like a low alcohol. But what I noticed in that article, I think Brock, that you even they even showed in that study, which I am a huge fan of, was that the non-alcoholic beers were um, beneficial. So it's the mm-hmm. things that are those antioxidants, the things that are in beer that are not the alcohol part. Yes. Right. But the other stuff that's in it that proved to be that were actually good, right? For yeah. recovery. Yeah, it, it really was. And, you know, I've been doing my own, I wouldn't say it's an experiment. It's turned into an experiment. It wasn't okay. be, began as uh, I'm turning 50 on Tuesday. Happy birthday. Thank you. And for the, the at the end of April, I decided that I was going to just take a take a real break from from alcohol and sort of just steal my resolve make myself as ready and able and fit and mentally healthy as i possibly could within reason without doing anything completely kooky because i don't believe in extremes so i arrive at my 50th birthday feeling really confident and capable and one of the things i chose to to do was to eliminate alcohol now I'm like you, I'm an alcohol minimalist. So in those three months since I made that decision, I have had three drinks, mm-hmm. very specific times when I felt like it was going to actually make me make me enjoy the moment a little bit more, yep. make me feel like I wasn't just being, uh, wasn't just holding on with willpower and, and stuff. But I have actually found that you know, the, the benefits that all the things that we've talked about in this episode, I didn't change anything about my exercise program because I'm, I've spent years dialing that in and I've got that all, all sorted out. And I didn't change anything about that, but you can see more muscle definition. I've increased my bench press by 10 pounds. Uh, There are all these things that are just sort of bubbling to the surface and showing me that this is, uh, this really does work in practical terms, not just in a scientific study in a, in a test tube somewhere and non-alcoholic beer actually played a a good role for it, for me in this endeavor as well. There are so many great craft breweries out there that are making the NA Mm -hmm. beers right now. So it's not just the, the Molson 0.5 or the O'Doul's or those kinds of beers that predominantly were in the in the grocery stores over the last few years i'm actually like i'm able to choose a white ale or an ipa or a pilsner or something and have those and in terms of like the cognitive behavior therapy part that we were talking about <laughs> earlier it's not usually the alcohol and this is this is one of those things that i've really discovered over the years is we're not after the alcohol most of the time uh, in those drinks were actually after the feeling of completion or the feeling of celebration or the feeling of giving yourself a treat. And I have found personally this, when I finish, let's say I'm mowing the lawn on a hot day, mm-hmm. nothing better than a, a cold beer or cold something, root beer, whatever it happens to be, whatever your beverage of choice is after you finish that. For me, a beer is a, a wonderful thing. The non-alcoholic beer completely filled that void because I I chose one specifically that I was really looking forward to the flavor. I put it into a, a pint glass mm-hmm. from one of our local breweries. So it looked really nice. And I sat down and enjoyed it the way that I would anything else. And I did not miss the alcohol. Yeah. And and I think that was a real reinforcement of a belief that I I had, but that I hadn't really collected the evidence on. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the idea of, of collecting evidence, yeah. you do something once and you're like, Hey, that worked. But right. then if you never do it again, you don't really collect more and more evidence to realize that that is, that it is true. And it is possible to enjoy yourself with friends or after mowing the yeah. lawn without having alcohol. Yeah. So in these three months, I've reinforced that idea more and more that it's not about the alcohol. It was about doing something fun for myself, giving myself a, a little bit of a boost, doing something that for a lot of people, I think it is signifying the end of your workday can yeah. be the the big thing that that we use alcohol for. It's like, okay, well, I've had the cocktail, so work is done. Now it's time to to relax. But we can achieve that without the alcohol. And, and that was something that I really, really enjoyed learning yet again and reinforcing with myself. So that's so awesome. I, I may not stay in this minimal of a right of a usage of of alcohol but the the information that i've gained from doing this experiment will stick with me for the rest of my life i can always remind myself like hey wait a second do you want alcohol or do you really just want a nice refreshing beverage to sit yeah. down and and signify the end of your day i really like the flavor i like a cold beer on a mm -hmm. hot afternoon i like the flavor of that and so like you, I real I found I came to understand that it wasn't the alcohol that I really wanted. I but I do enjoy the flavor. I do enjoy that, and and the ritual around yeah, it as yeah. well. So it's um. So I'm glad to know that that's that you're finding that too, and and you know whatever that looks like for all of you and moving forward, I'm glad that that's what you're learning as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Rock. So the upshot really is just <laughs> if you follow those same guidelines that Molly you talk about quite often you will also be maximizing your your fitness efforts as yeah. well so just making sure that you're you're following you're following the good health guidelines using alcohol i don't want to say responsibly because again that's yeah. that's placing a lot of judgment on it using yep. it in a way that aligns with your biology mm -hmm. how about that is that yeah. a no, that's very fair. scientific yeah, way absolutely. to do that and and it will work in your fitness life as well awesome Wow, Brock, this has been for, you know, folks, we will um, not bore you with the technical details, but there have been some here during our <laughs> podcast and Brock and I have locked arms and made it through. And I really can't wait to share all of this great information with everybody. Such a wonderful guest to have. I appreciate it, Brock, so much. Just your you. wealth of knowledge. Awesome. Awesome. So many great resources, so many great tools here, folks. And again, Brock Armstrong, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Molly. All right. Hey, it's present day Brock back again, just to thank Molly one more time for having me on her podcast, Breaking the Bottle Legacy, which you should check out everywhere that you find podcasts, and also for allowing me to rebroadcast our conversation, because I, I really think we did hit on some really important topics, not just all the science that I got a little heavy in, sorry about that, but also the behavioral aspects, the mindset, a lot of really good stuff. Molly really is a wealth of knowledge, and I think you should check her out. But for now, this is Brock Armstrong from Second Wind Fitness, reminding you to move more of your body more often in more and more interesting ways. <laughs>